Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to a fresh hour dedicated to inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, and more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of our ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowing as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, now each week I read a few of your letters as our way of respecting the importance you play in our show. Last week our show was all about the so-called law of attraction and the secret behind the secret, uh, something I call hard work. Maggie wrote, thanks so much for the show on The Secret Behind the Secret. Rhonda Byrne's movie opened many up to the new way of thinking, but many went overboard with the idea that if you just sit there and visualize something, it will come to pass. We need to take steps in the direction of our goals and dreams to reach them. Spirit and serendipity will come to aid us on the journey, but we can't just sit at the bus stop waiting for the destiny bus to take us to the destination of our dreams. We still need to get up and climb aboard the bus when it shows up and pay our fare in order to ride the bus. Thanks for all of your ideas and sharing, Eldon. You really are practical as well as provocative. Well, thank you, Maggie. That's a great letter. What do you think of that, Ravinder? Provocative and practical. I love it. Melody had this to say about the Sedona tragedy that Bob Proctor stated was a product of the law of attraction. Quote, I attended an introductory seminar by James Ray about a year before this incident happened, and my personal take on Mr. Ray was that he had a raging ego and a deep level of arrogance. A flurry of red flags flew up for me, but there were others there who scrambled like dogs for a bone as he tossed out free CDs and books. He challenged that we didn't really care about ourselves if we didn't pull out our credit cards on the spot. I think about my own responsibility after I heard about the tragedies in Arizona. What if I had confronted Mr. Ray about his arrogance and manipulation of his audience's trust? I'll never know the answer to that question, but I do know that many people are desperate to change their life circumstances, i.e., rush toward pleasure and avoid pain, instead of accepting each stage of our lives as a natural, albeit at times difficult, stage of our growth. Very well said, Melody. Jennifer wrote, I loved your talk today on The Secret. How eloquently you express my sentiments as a former secret devotee. On an, and an alternative health care provider, I had to ask myself, as a responsible person, how could I really embrace the idea that patients were bringing on their health conditions with their thoughts? Yes, we all know that stress and worry hurt a person both inside and out, but I embraced your analogy of the infant hurt by the angry parent. How could this being be responsible for causing such an event? As per the sweat lodge fiasco, I must say that common sense does lead me to hold James largely responsible for not providing a safe environment for the sweat. Thank you, sir, for your brilliant discourse on this important subject in the New Age community. Lisa wrote, Hi, Eldon. Absolutely brilliant show this week on the principles of attraction and the Sedona tragedy. I could have listened to you and Ravinder discuss these topics for another few hours. I totally agreed 1,000% on everything you said. I hope you can do part two of this show at a later date. Now, <clears throat> I really thought 
that taking on the secret on this network would provoke some in the audience, and as a result, I might just, might just get a verbal lashing. So with each phone call I took last week, I asked, are you going to beat me up today? <clears throat> some of you wondered why I asked that. Isn't that right, Rev? <laughs> yes, Trey. Well, the answer, you know, was obvious. None of you not only beat me up in the phone calls, but all of your letters were very supporting. So we do plan to do another show on this subject. So thank you, Lisa, for your letter, and thanks to all of you for your support. Peter wrote, Hello, Eldon. You were outstanding, brilliant, passionate, opinionated, fearless, and sincere. I loved it. Radio at its best. It's a pity that too few shows on Hay House Radio are as compelling. Now, that's a notable and pithy comment. Thank you very much, Peter. What do you think of that one, Raph? I think it's cool. I love it. Okay, well, all right. Jane wrote, thank you for sharing all the research you have done in the area of the conscious and subconscious and how it affects what we create in our lives. Your books are well-written and inspirational. You have touched my life in wonderful ways. Thank you, Jane, for your kind remarks. Cheryl wrote, I enjoyed your book, What If, and really like your newsletter. I want to try some of your CDs, so I thought I would check it out via the free MP3s. Well, that's a great idea, Cheryl, and for all of you. Remember that we have a number of InterTalk MP3 programs that are yours, free for the downloading. They're not samples. They are the real deal, the patented and proven effective technology that has helped millions empower themselves by changing the way they talk to themselves. We think of this as just a part of our pay-it-forward effort, so be sure to get yours today. Just go to InterTalk, I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K dot com, and choose free programs from the left-hand navigation pane. All right, Anna wrote, Eldon Taylor, your mind is awesome. You are so encouraging to us all. I don't know what to say to that one, Rab, other than thank you, Anna. Rossio wrote, thank you so much for the Bruxism CD. I believe it's been two months now, and I don't feel any pain. Not only that, I am more relaxed. I enjoy my family and don't stress about the job anymore. Your product rocks. I like that one. I do. I do. Definitely, I have my own testimonials with the Bruxism program. That was incredible. I used to get up with a spitting headache every morning, and I played that program. I was like, oh, how easy is that? Spitting headache. Is that why I woke up wet? <laughs> Cheeky. Okay. Themba from South Africa wrote, I have the Serenity Intertalk CD that came with a book called Mind Programming. It's such a powerful CD. I listened to it first thing in the morning. And every time I do my day drifts, into peace. Keep up the good work, Dr. Taylor. Well, thank you, Themba. Let me remind all of you that you get the Serenity CD free when you get a copy of Mind Programming. And you can get it online or right here at Hay House for about $10, CD included. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at eldontaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters. Obviously, we can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming. I highly value your input, and I do encourage you to please provide your feedback. And once again, thank you for your continued support. Now to today's show. Dolphins, their intelligence and healing powers. When you discuss dolphins with anyone nowadays, the conversation will almost certainly go to their intelligence and life-saving reputation. Dolphins are held in high regard in our country, and in some, they are sacred. That said, the 
era wadi dolphin, considered sacred to many in, in Cambodia and Laos, has declined to just 85 individuals, at least according to the World Wildlife Fund assessment. Leading researchers now conclude that the population is at high risk of dying out altogether in Asia's Mekong River. Mention a dolphin here in the U.S. and perhaps you think of flipper. But bring the animal up in Japan and what comes to the Japanese mind may well be dinner. Dolphins in many ways are like cattle, sacred in some places in the world and slaughtered for the table in other parts of the world. Here are some interesting, if not amazing, facts about dolphins that I assembled. Dolphins are always alert. When they sleep, only one half of their brain shuts down. Dolphins are, of course, social animals. They raise their young through an extended maturation period as a group. They hunt together. They defend their group together. They even battle sharks together. Dolphins can communicate with whales, and they have been known to guide whales to safety. Dolphins are powerful swimmers, known to reach speeds of 30 kilometers per hour and to jump many feet out of the water. Dolphins have a language. They communicate using a complicated combination of clicks and sound. They use their language for many things, including to coordinate hunting parties. Dolphins can stay underwater for over 15 minutes and dive to depths around 500 feet. Dolphins use echolocation, or what you might think of as a form of radar to find objects. Many experts believe that humans can communicate with dolphins, or perhaps more precisely, that dolphins understand humans. Indeed, some of the research suggests that dolphins can actually imitate human speech. Now, if you think these characteristics are admirable, add this one into the mix. Male dolphins are known to gang rape other dolphins, male and female, and they're not real picky about what species they mate with. The U.S. Navy Marine Mammal Program studies the military use of marine mammals, principally bottlenose dolphins and California sea lions, and trains these animals to perform tasks such as ship and harbor protection, mine detection and removal, and equipment recovery. Indeed, according to the article, Dolphins of War, armed with explosives, trained to seek out enemy mines and vessels and to destroy them, dolphins are being trained by both the American and Russian navies. Dolphins were there in the murky waters of Vietnam. They were trained to speed towards a Vietnamese frogman and skew him with a lance strapped to its beak. In the Persian Gulf War, a team of dolphins dived deep into the ocean and used their complex echolocation to hunt down stray torpedoes and detect enemy mines. This use of dolphins creates issues not yet resolved, but that could threaten the dolphin species itself, just as we see as the case with the era Wadi dolphin in Vietnam. For example, in 1981, Navy Lieutenant Commander Douglas Burnett wrote, in a hostile confrontation, both sides will have to consider dolphins as potential enemy biosensors or weapons. In some situations, there may be no choice but to destroy dolphins or any marine mammal presenting a similar threat. It may be a sound decision to protect shipping by poisoning the surrounding waters to remove the threat of dolphin attacks, which would remove a sizable proportion of the area's ecology. There are many that claim a special spiritual connection to the dolphin. To some, the dolphin is an animal totem 
that represents healing. To others, the dolphin may well hold souls like human beings. Swimming with the dolphins has become a spiritual quest, a spiritual experience with expectations of connection, a special connection, perhaps similar to what one might expect in other special spiritual ceremonies. Indeed, birthing with dolphins is something we'll discuss today. And during the break, we'll have a video of this amazing event. Why, then, do we create such a special place for dolphins? How much of what we hear about the specialness is exaggerated? According to Believer, an online magazine, and I quote, Sadly, those cute, beeping, clicking, autistic, children-loving flippers are not the goody-two-shoes we think they are. And for the last decade, scientists have been trying to shove the cold, hard, bottle-nosed truth in our enchanted faces, but we will not hear it. No, we shout as we leap into warm Florida waters to commune with the ocean's graceful and glossy ambassadors. Shut up, we cry, as experts from Scotland to Australia attempt to stop us from grabbing onto that fin and riding off into the sunset. La, 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 we hum loudly to drown out the sounds of science, rape, murder, baby killing. La, 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 like the ancient Greeks and Romans, we remain ever worshipful, of dolphins and stuck on the idea that a mutual affinity exists between our species. We believe that in contrast to, say, dingoes, dolphins would never, say, eat our babies, like the ancient Greeks and Romans were suckers for a good myth, close quote. All right, our guest today can answer all of our questions and more when it comes to dolphins. In fact, they specialize in things like dolphin telepathy, and bring together dolphins and expectant mothers in hopes of establishing interspecies communications. Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen of the Sirius Institute join us today. Star Newland, formerly Paradise Newland, left her life as a TV and video producer, talk show host, corporate executive, publicist, and marketing specialist to explore dolphin-accompanied birthing. She is a founding partner of the Sirius Institute. She has used her expertise in psychoneuroimmunology and has had many successes using dolphin imaging in healing and has studied the dolphin effect of enhanced levels of functioning after dolphin encounters. The Sirius Institute states that their mission is to bring technologies that establish new and novel connections between Puna Ohana, I hope I said that correctly, or Kin Circle, and the rest of the world. Now, Dr. Michael Heisen earned his Ph.D. in biology in 1976 with specializations in neurobiology. From 77 to 79, he pursued a postdoctorate in bioinformation systems at Caltech. From 80 to 87, he worked as a system engineer for electrostatic levitation at Jet Propulsion Laboratories. From 88 to 89, he functioned as research director at Pacific American Launch Systems, And from 1990 to present, he is the research director of the Sirius Institute. All right, it's time for our guests. So welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen. How are you today? Fabulous. Aloha and good morning, Evelyn. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you for having us. It's our pleasure to have you both. So let's begin with you, Ms. Newland. Please tell us of the hows and whys behind your interest in dolphin research. 
Wow, that's a good question right off the bat, Elton. I knew that would be expected. <laughs> um, well, you know, growing up in our culture in my era, in my eras, I had a vague and then a deeper sense of, hmm, something's missing here. And that something was a sense of connectivity, long before people started talking about connectivity and unity consciousness, I was already feeling that my life was other. And so when I had the opportunity to see dolphins swimming for the first time down in Florida, and they played catch with me, I felt that the dolphins knew who I was somehow, that they remembered me or recognized me and reached out to me specifically. And I felt that intention to make contact. And that precipitated a series of changes over 30 years now that has led me to establish the Serious Connection first, then the Serious Institute, Planet Puna, the Cetacean Commonwealth, all these um, projects and organizations that would help bring this dolphin message, this dolphin information to the world, and especially having to do with birth. Because Joseph Chilton Pierce, whom I'm sure many of your audience are familiar with his work and the cosmic egg and the magical child and all this. Um, he spoke very eloquently about the influence our birth has on our lives and the kinds of shocks and traumas we experience from the very beginning. So when I first heard about dolphins in birth through Joseph Princiota about 1982, that completely <coughs> caught my attention. And I realized <coughs> that, oh my gosh, of course, being born in the water with dolphins right there would do so much to help new babies feel connected from the very beginning, to feel that they had a, a relationship with something other than themselves, other than their mom, and to bring all that into their lives. So we've had a number of dolphin-enhanced um, birthing experiences, let's say, where the women have had time to spend swimming with the dolphins before the baby's born. And in each case so far, all those births have been much easier. And what we know from, you know, prenatal experiences is that the easier your birth is, the easier your life is going to be. So it's very much in our social well-interest to help generate as much good birthing experiences as we can. Interesting. We'll come back to that. But Dr. Heisen, then, in fairness, how did you get involved with dolphin research? Well, I was in Illinois working with uh, various pets and falcons and things. I got interested in bats and went into caves to collect them so I could work um, learning about their sonar. And in the process of that, I ran into John Willie's book called Man and Dolphin, and mm -hmm. it basically changed my life. Um, after reading his book, I talked my brother into getting a job in Texas training them, and I got to go help him for a whole summer when I was 14. And so that got them into my life, and they've been as much of my life as I could get them ever since. Uh, From the just, age of 14. So yeah. even while you were doing your your graduate studies, you had uh, an affinity toward the dolphin. Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons I stayed at the University of Miami. It was close to the dolphins. And then about 1973, I ran into uh, Dr. Hank Truby, who was John Lilly's linguist when they were teaching the dolphin in English. And I worked with him and his family in uh, a dolphin project for the next uh, 12 years. We had a couple dolphins in a pond in Mashed Island Lagoon on Key Biscayne for about two years, Florida and Liberty. And I swam with them a lot, and we were designing communication in, uh, instruments and so on. But um, the funding eventually ran out, and we had to turn them loose. 
but uh, we got to be very good friends, and I learned a lot. I also okay. happened to swim once with the original Flipper, whose real name was Missy. <laughs> wow. Okay, now you, you you both heard the setup piece, and you know I, I I must admit that I don't have an affinity to dolphins because I guess you know I'm a, a mountain states kind of guy, but I have affinities towards other animals, horses and dogs and so forth. Uh, so I, I understand that affinity, but I also you know uh, I believe, and this may sound I, I hope it doesn't sound crazy to you, but to some it may seem crazy. I believe that I actually can communicate with my horses. I mean, telepathically, if you want that, ideas. I don't. I don't want to put a label on it. But, but with that said, you know, uh, having that kind of rapport, I also know that horses can be pretty evil. I mean, I've seen, you know, stallions actually kill a foal in order to get to uh, the, its mother. So where I'm going to go, the question I have for both of you, but for you first, Miss Newland, why do you think dolphins are held in such special aura, I mean, like above dogs or horses, when their behavior can be just as gross as the stallion I mentioned? Well, that's another good question, Eldon. Um, first, in all of my years of being in Hawaii and having dolphin contact with three dolphins, all the things that you reported, I have yet to ever witness myself. And I would imagine that's pretty much the case across the board for many people who just go out to be with the dolphins. So something I heard quite some time ago about the study about the dolphins gangbanging or raping other dolphins, it said something to the effect that maybe that's what the people who were researching were going out to look for. You know, like what kind of bad things can we see about dolphins? So I wonder about that. They're very, very psychic. They're very attuned to who we are and what we're thinking. I've witnessed this, experienced this myself many, many times. And so when I go out there with an open heart and I'm happy and I'm just delighted to see them, all I get is that response from them is they're happy to be there. They're happy to see me. They interact um, as much as they want to. And that's all I have experience of. So the rest of it, although I've read the research and I've come across it, um, I wonder because as I said, it's all I know of them is how kind they are and how sweet they are and how they swarm our pregnant moms and come and bring their children to us and play leaf games with us and all kinds of things. And in the same way that you mentioned about the horses and the stallions and what they do, in many mammal societies, let's say, that happens with the males. They want the females, the babies in the way they bump off the baby. That could right. be pure biology beyond anything we might think esoterically about the dolphins and who they are as wonderful mammals. The fact is, they're mammals. Whatever else we attribute to them, they're still mammals. And yeah. we look at our own behavior and see, you know, there's the wonderfulness of humans in many hey, cases. Look, hold um, on to that one, Miss Newland. We've got a hard break coming up. And okay. when we come back, we'll talk more about the Cujos of the world and the Lassies of the world. But mm -hmm. let's focus on the Lassies. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. We're discussing dolphins, their intelligence and healing powers with Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen of the Sirius Institute. If you're not already in our chat room, now is a great time to join the conversation and see a short film that we have for you today. Just go to eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. Stay with us during the break. You won't want to miss what's coming in the next half of the show. And we'll be right back after these words from our friends.
confusion, deception, manipulation, feeling a bit controlled, lost. Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization, filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing dolphins, their intelligence and healing powers with Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen of the Sirius Institute. But before we get back to today's show, I want to invite you to join me on Facebook. I regularly post such things as what's happening on our radio show, where I'm speaking, the latest in research breakthroughs, links to my blogs, and so forth. So please do join me on Facebook. Now, if you like our show, spread the word. We genuinely appreciate your support. One more item of business. Please check out the I Can Do It conference in Pasadena coming in October. I'll be speaking there, and I'd love to meet you all in person. So if you can, put it on your calendar and get your tickets early. All right, let's get back to the show. Before the break, we were discussing the good and the bad, or the alleged bad, in dolphin behavior, and I believe, uh, Star, you were suggesting that perhaps they were mirroring a mental state of the researchers, uh, somehow telepathically delivering what the researchers had set out to find. Did I get that correct? Yes. That was okay. my understanding from some of the articles I read and some of the reviews about that work. Um, but again, we can only go by our own personal experience with this, and mine yeah. has been completely different. And Michael's too, I believe, right, Michael? Yes, I've seen. Uh, there's been a few bites, maybe a, um, a reports of a broken rib here and there, but by and large, they have been tremendously gentle, considering what they might do. Um, which uh, brings brings up how can there be something like rape in dolphins? Because in fact, their sonars are so powerful that if they wanted to, they could injure each other, and they seldom do, as far as I can tell. The other thing is the uh, things about killing other dolphins and so on uh, have been taken out of context, or at least there's yet to be a context given. It's possible that overfishing or pollution had just eliminated their food supply. They could have been starving. So there's yet to be any discussion in these reports of violence what's really going on in the ecology there. So I, I, there may be special cases where they do this, but it's hardly a general rule. They're uh, okay. infinitely so- gentle. 
And then Lily uh, said his most important result in all his work was to find out the dolphins were ethical beings who put humans in a special category and went out of their way to keep humans safe. Where did, whose research was that? And please elaborate, John, Dr. John Lilly's, John Lilly's research. Okay. He said that was the most important thing he learned in all his work with them, that they were ethical beings and put humans in a special category. Okay, and, now I, I've looked over some of Dr. John Lilly's work, the, the late John Lilly, um, and, and I, I must have missed the criteria by which he arrived at that. And that's what I'm really asking uh, Dr. Heisen, do you, do you remember the criteria by which he derived the ethical behavior? Well, just the, just the overall, that they would do, go out of their way to cooperate. They'd go out of their way to lower their frequencies to match ours. They were gentle with people. They were extremely gentle with babies and children. Um, you know, at least at that time, there were zero, any incidents at all of a human being seriously injured by a dolphin at all. And there may still, that, that's almost true now, except for one in Brazil. Um, but that's a special case. Um, I think there's been a general um, disinformation campaign going on because National Geographic, for example, reported the Brazil incident with a dolphin named Tanio completely wrong because uh, they just said the dolphin, in their program about it, they said the dolphin attacked on its own uh, unprovoked. But in fact, there were two drunk people stuffing popsicle sticks into its blowhole. And he whacked them with his head once, and one of them got a ruptured spleen and died later. Um, so this this thing has been, um, um, I think, so it's you, a, you, this information campaign that's being mounted against the dolphin. So you think all of this other is just exaggerated disinformation? It may have happened, but I think it's so rare that uh, okay. to emphasize it is, is uh, giving the wrong impression. Well, you know, we would like to think human beings are ethical, and yet we have serial killers and atrocities every day. So let's well, just leave it that maybe they're well, more sophisticated than we. They have fewer of those than the human nature. If I get you correctly, that's what you're arguing for. I think so. And if, me personally, if you gave me 10 random humans and 10 random dolphins and asked me to trust them, I would trust the dolphins first. Take the dolphins. All right. Dr. I said years ago, while you and I are here, uh, years ago I had a conversation with Dr. Pat Flanagan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he told told me about some dolphin research that he was doing with the Navy uh, with his invention, the Neurophone, where he successfully had connected uh, humans to dolphins for the purpose of communication, telepathic communication. I know the Sirius Institute does a lot of this work. And, you know, but what is your personal experience with that? And are you familiar with Pat? Yes, I got to talk extensively with Pat about his work. He was working with a wonderful fellow named Wayne Bateau, and they had a frequency-shifting translator that would shift the human voice into the dolphin range, and they had him up to 40 words in Hawaiian. But the main thing Pat talked about that way was they would sit by the pond as quietly as they could and think of a region in the water and the dolphins would show up there. Then they think of a different region, and they'd show up there. And they did that for hours at the game. So he's very, very, uh, well, definitely established telepathy. They left now, it out you, of the Navy report. Right. Have you tried any of this yourself, uh, you and Star or the Sirius Institute? I mean, I know you work with the telepathy. So, yeah. And if you have, can you share some of what you found? Okay. Star has had more extensive uh, experience, but in my experience, uh Sometimes I'm with the dolphins, just look in their eye, and you get a, a 
deep sense of connection, and then sometimes there's a flood of images or ideas or memories or history. It's a little hard to explain, and then uh, we've called that the Dolphins app. Sometimes it's uh, overwhelming. Um, other times they give specific information. Other times I've asked questions like, what do you want me to learn? And this dolphin came around to teach me how to swim. <laughs> so oh, wow. if, you're open, you're, if you're open to them, lots of things happen. Another friend said he wanted to know what sex a particular dolphin was, and that dolphin immediately turned its belly toward him and things like that. So I also knew a trainer named Rudolph that had trained them telepathically for 25 years. There's another guy named Paul Robson in New Zealand that uh, did telepathic experiments for some 20 years. So in, uh, when I asked Lily about it, he said, oh, it happens all the time. Um, so it's well established. I could give you a list of at least 20 people with similar experience. Okay. All right. Well, now, when we're talking about communication, Ms. Newland, you have an idea that I guess uh, I, I'll approach is, is sculpting. It's uh, the language sculpting. Explain what that is and how you use that with the dolphins, will you? Well, yes. Language sculpting is what we call a meta-technology in that it influences all communications that we apply it to. I was inspired to start working on this and developing it back in 1986 when I got a message from the Dolphins while I was getting ready to write that said I would uh, create a new style of writing that was holographic in essence. And so I thought, well, that sounds interesting. Let's see what comes of that. And so like 25 years later, I finally put out my first booklet, A Primer on Language (laughs) Sculpting, which is available as a gift to your audience. And Tell us about that while you're right there. You know, yes. before you go on, I was going to ask you that question later, but while you're right there, tell tell the audience where they can get this gift, and then we'll go on with what it is, okay? Oh, yes. Um, if they go to our link on planetpuna.com, and we have a link to your show, of course, they can um, go click on to the uh, free gift, a Primer on Language Sculpting booklet, and okay, just and download it from there. Read it. It's pretty easy. I wanted to create it so that it would be easy to get, easy to understand, and very accessible for people, much like telepathy is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Once again, that's Planet Puma. Puna. Puna. Oh, yeah. Planet yes. Puna. P-U-N-A. Dot uh-huh. com. And uh, Puna is the district in Hawaii on the on Big Island where we live and where we have established our work. The last twenty years as the research, you know, group okay, of institutes. All right. Well, please, I didn't want to interrupt you on the sculpting, but I did want to get out uh, that site so that our listeners could go and could maybe download that while they're actually listening to the show, and and might be able to add into our conversation. So go ahead. What was uh, tell us about uh, the language sculpting? It took you twenty five years to write the primer. <laughs> I've been out busy doing things. <laughs> It's hard for me to sit down long enough for like a few weeks to get things done, but it is about creating coherent realities through the conscious use of language. And I was happy to hear you start off the show by saying that dolphins are awake pretty well 24-7, which means um, because they're conscious breathers, which is what John Lilly was the first person to discover, that means they have to be awake every time they take a breath. But humans um, breathe automatically unless we're out in a coma or something really extreme has happened. But our way to be conscious is to be mindful of what we think and what we're saying and to create what it is we're putting out there. So 
in sculpting, we are reconnecting with what I've recently started to call the picture mind. Because when we look at how babies communicate and how dolphins communicate, it's through pictures. It's telepathically. We project the pictures, what's in our minds, the thought forms that we're holding. And whatever is around us, and even entirely really creation, but just what's around us will pick up what we're projecting out there, as you would have probably discussed on The Secret Show. So with language sculpting, we're making sure that we're mindful and more conscious of what we're putting out. So, for example, when we tell our children to have, go out and have fun, that would be more like the sculpted version. Usually parents would say, go out, but don't get into trouble. So on the one hand, you're putting out the thought of go out and have fun, which is what you want. And that's a completely different thought and energy than not getting into trouble. Okay, and, and this language sculpting you developed for communication purposes with a dolphin or for... Yes, yes because if you think about how humans communicate, um, we're pretty chaotic. It's why they called it the Tower of Babel, all these different words and confusion things and a lot of what in NLP terms is called embedded commands. In sculpting terms, we refer to that as just confused languaging. So when we are sculpting, we are helping to put out those clearer thoughts. And in doing that, it's easier for people to follow through on what we're communicating. It's easier for the universe to fulfill what we want to happen or what matters to us. Okay, so Miss Newland, do you think that a regular line of communication will ever be established between humans and dolphins? Absolutely. Of course you I do. do. That's why I'm still doing this after 30 years, all of this work. And that's partly why the interspecies birth cohort is such an important um, factor for us, because John Lilly and others, but especially John and Tony Lilly, felt that by having children around dolphins, born, raised with them, and so on, that it would be natural for them to establish communications. But if we were to look at that a little bit more deeply, well, children are pure communicators. I mean, all they do when they're born, it's different than they have words to describe this or that. They see things. They have pictures in their mind. They recognize mommy's face or something green and big outside and things like this. But dolphins communicate in those kinds of pictures. I've, I've received probably many thousands of messages over the years from them. And they're very clear, and it's different than they would ever say, don't go into town, there's going to be a big accident or something like that. They would project a picture of, stay home, it'll be safer for you there or something. Okay. Dr. Heisen. Yes. Uh, have any so-called intelligent tests ever been given to dolphins that might suggest just how smart they are? I mean, like a memory test or a vocabulary test oh, yeah. or something oh, of yeah. that like? Yes. First of all, just on the on the straight basis of sensory stuff, they're processing sound at anywhere from forty to four thousand times what we do. Um, they have a larger brain. They have more association cortex. They've been proven to be self-aware. Basically, they recognize themselves in a mirror. It's a simple test, but very few animals, as far as I understand, uh, dolphins and humans and great apes are the only ones that have passed that test. Um, they've done extensive language work, Lily's work, uh, uh, Lewis Herman's work. And they've done better on synthetic language studies, you know, like they've done with the apes and so on, than anything right. else. Uh, they had them up to 300, 400 words, and, or signs, rather, and 2,500 phrases in, in the Herman work. And then John Lilly pointed out that they had a, a short-term memory of 12 units. Uh, humans have five plus or minus two is the way they usually say it. 
And that's why telephone numbers are that length. But uh, (laughs) dolphins have a short-term memory of at least 12 units. So by all those measures, um, they exceed our performance. And I'm sure... would you give them a higher intelligence than a chimpanzee on par with a chimpanzee? Oh, or definitely higher. Yeah, I would, put higher. Them, I would put them definitely higher. You know, Despite um, the fact that everyone ranks a chimpanzee as being the highest. Well, they well, probably yes, do think, that because they like to attribute that humans are related to chimpanzees or the great apes in some fashion. But we right. I'd actually rather be related to a dolphin. Myself. Definitely. <laughs> well, we likely are related because there's, in particular, there's a special neuron in the brain called a spindle cell. And uh, up until about 10 years ago, it was thought to only occur in humans and other hominids. Mm-hmm. And now they've found them throughout the cetacea. These things are involved in perfect pitch, creativity, play, and their proportion goes up with the size of the brain. So humpback has like three times as much as, as many stem cells, I'm sorry, um, spindle cells as uh, a human. So by that measure, they are also uh, show a greater, they call it encephalization, than, than ours. The all sperm right. whale's got six times our brain size, and all of that expansion is in the neocortex. So they're certainly more intelligent than we are. Okay, and I have so one point. Do you, believe, Wait, do you just... believe that, Dr. Heisen? One second, if I can. I, I, sure, of course. Do you believe that the cetaceous are aware of the future then in some way, not just self-aware, uh, but... A, Aware of the future like a human being. Absolutely. They can. Pl- they plan, they reason, they, have, they uh, herd fish, um, they have tremendous games that they play, that, um, very sophisticated things that they do, like a ball of dolphins swimming in the water, very slowly turning around, but maintaining a perfect spherical shape in the water. I mean, their precision is just so amazing. It but, blows but you away. But do they make a plan to do this? That's, that's what of I course. would be asking. I mean, do they make of a course. plan? Okay. Excellent. I didn't mean to cut you off at all. On oh, this new okay. what, what was it you wanted to add? I'm sorry. Well, one of the things that's very exciting about the interspecies birth cohort is that um, Tony Lilly reported to me that 90% of our brain is spent computing where we are vis-a-vis gravity in the world on land. But dolphins and also water babies come in, and they're buoyant. So that means, especially for the dolphins, because their only habitat is the water, um, that part of their brain, that 90% that we use to spend in computing gravity, they have available for other things. So we're wondering and we're wanting to explore with the children who have this kind of extensive water contact, what kinds of differences are there? How are their brains different? How do they function? How do they perceive? Um, what's new and exciting in a child who's born this way and how does that carry through in their life? So it's more about, you know, like, their brain is, in addition to being bigger, more complex, they have the added benefit of being supported through the water. And just when anyone goes out in the water and you're out there swimming or just hanging out and floating, we feel how comfortable that is, how comforting it is, and how easy it is in our bodies and how we feel much better. But imagine a life where we could carry that feeling whether we were on the land or out in the ocean. All right. So now, how long have you been birthing uh, children this way? Um, well, I guess you could say I started with my, my second son, who is actually 19, on August 18th. But we oh. have yet to, just for the record and to be clear about this, we have yet to actually have anybody deliver in the ocean with a dolphin. Um, the logistics of that are considerably more challenging than people can imagine. 
And that beautiful video you showed on the, um, on the break there, that was a woman in a facility. I believe that was in Mexico. And that was the film that was shown in a film um, called The First Cry Out of France. And they had approached us originally to see if we could come up with someone who could give birth in the ocean with the dolphins. But our, our birthing mom actually had to leave the islands for several months. So we take women to the dolphins. We connect them with them. We establish a relationship with the dolphins in the water, and we connect them with what we call the pod project out on the land, bringing people together to come in the way that a pod would surround a mom who is having her baby out there. We gather the humans to be with the mom and to be part of the baby's pod on the land. And the relationship that the mom carries with the human pod extends out into the water with the dolphins, and they come around more specifically, it seems, when the mother has made a good contact with her human pod as well. Okay, now, have you been able to look at any longitudinal studies, I mean, one year, two years, three years, and, and see any difference in the maturation and in the intelligence, et cetera, uh, in the social skills of children um, that have been birthed in this pod or had this experience with their mothers and the dolphins? What we've seen so far is that, in our own experience again, is that all of our dolphin enhanced birth experiences, let's say, have been much more easy, easily done. Um, our last mom, a beautiful lady named Kim from Florida, whose blog is on our website too, she was out in the water for like two months every day, and in the end, her baby came at night, and so she had a water birth back home. But that birth took place in like 20 minutes. So far, what we've seen is that all of our births have been quicker and easier, which in effect changes the dynamics of that baby's life and the life of everyone around them because what you come in with is what you keep creating throughout your life. So we're looking for more evidence of this on a longer-term basis. A lot of people who come to us are from other countries and other places far away, so keeping up with them right now has been a bit challenging, but we're establishing this new cohort and moving it from now down the road till we finish our research, if we ever do. And we'll have more things to decide. We'll, we'll have more things to look at to see. But we expect that these children would be happier, more serene, easier to be with. And, you know, anyone who's out there who's a parent, if, you're, if your child is easygoing and easy to get along with, it's easier to be a good parent. You know, very simply, it's easier right. to be nice. It's easier to be kind. It's easier to tend a child who's easy to get along with. And this, in effect, ultimately, too, would reduce the tremendous amount of child abuse we have in our, on our island and in the states and around the world in general, is helping children come in in a better way so that they are easier to be with and provide a beacon of light for the people around them. And that brings right. out people's best. What, do you got a rooster in the background there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> out in the country. If we had had this yeah, all in great. the evening, you would have heard cookie frogs all night long. <laughs> <laughs> we only have a couple of more minutes, but Dr. Heisen, uh, yeah. you know, when, when you talk about the cetaceans, uh, whales are in that group. And it, So tell us about the whale chorus that's planned to be sent into deep space. Oh, um, well, we've already done that. Uh, Star came up with the idea that we should broadcast their communications into space, sort of like an inverse SETI, if you will, um, uh-huh. that, uh, to give the dolphins a voice and send it to space. Uh, so... We connected with a group called WhaleSong.net that had a hydrophone in the water and then put them together with deep space communications in Florida. And on Earth Day, 
I'm sorry, I've forgotten exactly which year, 2005, I think. Yes, it was. Um, wow. We, um, uh, during Earth Day, they, they took the live humpback sounds and broadcast them on a big dish antenna as close to Sirius as they could get. <laughs> and uh, they figured it would make it out to about four light years. And, wow. Uh, um, so that was the first time that live humpback sounds were ever sent to space. And one of the, David Leonard of uh, MSNBC.com wrote, well, perhaps this will save Kirk and Spock the trip. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he, cute. he got the idea precisely. Right. And then, uh, uh, Go ahead. A, a channeler fr- a friend of ours, uh, Selena Key, a few days later, without any prior knowledge of what we'd done, got a message from the whales to give us congratulations for what we'd accomplished. <laughs> so we got a return message. Oh, well, that's great. All right. Well, we're we're just about out of time. In about thirty seconds, Ms. Newland, tell everybody how they can learn more about uh, your project, about the Sirius Institute, uh, and once again, uh, how they can pick up the gift that you have for them today. Well, thank you. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more, our website again, planetpuna, p-u-n-a dot com, is full of information. That website's like fifteen years old. And it details our research and other people's research, gives ways for people to get in touch with us. And again, that's where the free booklet, A Primer on Language Sculpting, is available for your audience. Um, People could write to us, call us. Our phone numbers are listed. Our emails are listed. And we're happy to share this information and invite others to come join us. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I would imagine they can also learn uh, or participate in some of the birthing programs that you do. We've had right, a number we... of people just over the last um, few weeks in particular, for some reason, just we've had a surge of interest. Okay. In We're out of time. I'm sorry. I want to thank everybody for being with us, joining us today, and I hope you'll join us again same time, same place next week. Until we, uh, we collect again together, remember, believing in yourself always 